0: Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few moments, going to be joined by Kelly Masters, sports agent, works in the National Football League, and she's going to give us some insights on uh, what she's going through right now with uh, the offseason, a very busy time for her, as you can imagine, and uh, also uh, kind of what's going on, trying to get players involved with the XFL as well, and some other things. So, a very uh, in-depth and fascinating chat with uh, Kelly Masters coming up in uh, just a little while from right now. So, don't miss out on that. Thomas Bridges is here with me today as well, and uh, I-, I know that the the last you know 24 hours have not been easy for Mister Thomas Bridges as uh, he joins us after uh, number two. Do you, do you even call him by name anymore, Tom, or, or is he just number two? Uh, how, how, hard, how, how hard has it been for you since he won this
1: time? He, I was doing karaoke last night, and the whole town of Bartlesville knows I'm a Spurs fan because I, I, I think there's one other one, and I've only seen him, and I've only met him like twice. Um, so, whole town of Bartlesville knows, and they all are all coming up to me while I'm trying to host karaoke and DJ, and, and oh, number two, and I'm like, just freaking call him Kawhi Leonard. I, You know, I'm like, call him a quitter. Ooh, quitter. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm like, golly, that it did, you know, we talked about this earlier, Jones, and it's just like, well, it's kind of a lose-lose situation if you're uh, a Spurs fan. Just because, one, you don't want the Warriors to win, and in a way, the Warriors are the one that kind of started that whole thing. Right. Zaza's stepping on the leg, and I'm obviously biased, but I think if Kawhi doesn't get hurt in that series in 2017, um, I think the Spurs are winning the championship that year. That's just me. We can play what if all day. But I was happy for Danny Green. I was happy for Kyle Lowry. I was happy for Van Vliet. I was happy, really happy for Serge Ibaka. I was really happy for Marc Gasol. How uh, about everybody that, though, not named Kawhi? Well, you know, uh, Seacom was rumored to be in the trade and was supposed to go instead of Pirtle, Yaka Pirtle. I mean He's been a good addition to the Spurs, but really we were supposed to get uh, Anobi or seekum and we didn't get any of them. We just got a tall white guy from Eastern Europe uh, out of the deal and DeRozan I, you know, I feel bad for him. I think everybody probably feels bad for him. I think they should just give him a ring because DeMar DeRozan died for this. He,
0: he was in his own words, the sacrificial
1: lamb. Yeah, that sucks. Right. And then, you know, to give the city all your all, and then the year they trade you off and do away with you, they win. It was it was the right move.
0: Clearly, with Toronto winning the championship, all those people that said they shouldn't have made that move were proven wrong. Uh, also, to the fact that Toronto was able to win this championship, um, you know, going forward, Tom you think about this, if, if they even lose Kawhi, let's say for all intents and purposes that he does not resign and this is just what they are. He brings a championship to Toronto. He'll forever be a hero in that area, forever be a hero in that city simply for winning an NBA title. And that's exactly what Toronto sat out to do. They accomplished that. They have it now in their hands and, you know, there's a, a freedom of sorts. I think Kawhi will stay now that he's won a title and can, you know sees that there is a path there for him to win more and, you know, that he is the face of that country right now. But at the moment, all is right in the world for Toronto that the risk that they took was one of the most gutsy moves in NBA history, and it paid off. No matter what happens going forward, the fact that this turned into a championship – Was worth every penny of what they did in that trade to bring in Kawhi Leonard.
1: Oh, of course it was. And then, I mean, it played right into their hands. I mean, I'm sure it was tough getting rid of DeRozan. Uh, But at the same time, I, you know, I think any franchise would be dumb not to trade. Uh, You know, if you can get Kawhi for a, 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 you know, trade away. I mean, I guess it's, you know, the face of your franchise and, you know, team leader and everything pretty much. Um, it is gutsy, but at the same time, Toronto wasn't getting anywhere. I mean, this is, that was the end of the road. They were going to be a second round exit, maybe conference finals exit every year uh, unless they did something. I mean, they really had to. It was either it a like 50-50 chance, and, and, you know, it worked out for them. And I really think the addition of Gasol – getting him midseason was huge for them. He hit, a, you know, several big threes in the finals. Um, getting Danny Green in that trade honestly was a steal. Uh, him already built playing with Kawhi before. Him coming into his system with a, uh, with a teammate like Kyle Lowry and a shooter like Van Bleet. it opened up, you know, space the floor more for Danny Green, whereas, you know, in San Antonio, Danny Green... He was, you know, the beautiful game. 2014, he was, you know, set the finals record for However many threes. I'm sure Steph Curry broke that already. But at the time, that was a beautiful game. And, and what Toronto plays is more of that. I mean, I saw some of the beautiful game watching uh, the finals this year, I mean, from Toronto. And that worked out in Danny Green's favor. That's what he's used to. And then his cold streak in San Antonio, Really started when LaMarcus Aldridge came. I'm not blaming that on him, but the Spurs used to space the ball out so much more before LaMarcus Aldridge. And when they got him, I mean, you saw that played out. How he was unhappy, and Pop sat down and talked to him. Said, "Hey, we'll get you the ball more." The Spurs ran more ISO. They kind of shied away. Even when they had Kawhi, they ran ISO. And it and as soon as Tim Duncan left, it, you know, kind of. You know, moved on from the beautiful game, as as, as Spurs fans love to call it, into and, and ISO ball, and uh, so right. it worked it, out for Danny. I mean, they started looking like the, the they form. started looking like
0: the Thunder out there. I mean, that's not what you want to yeah. be,
1: right? That's, that's
0: not the way to play basketball. Uh, I'll say All this right. with the Raptors, that was so unique, Tom, in, in their situation. You you kind of t- touched on it there, of the talent level of this team. You're talking about guys that the Raptors just found, other than the Kawhi trade and having Kyle Lowry there. Whether it was Marcus Ald, you know, making a deal for him, you know, finding, uh, uh, you know, some of these other players, Fred VanVleet, who was an undrafted free agent out of Wichita State, um, you know, just just some of these other players, you know, Serge Ibaka and others. This was like a team of misfits that pride themselves on defense and had incredible chemistry and Nick nurse found a way to make this work. Toronto from a talent level standpoint, Tom was not the most talented team, probably not the second or third, or maybe even fourth most talented team in the NBA, but you know what? They were the best defensive team in the league. And on top of that, their chemistry was incredible. Nick Nurse found something, and every once in a while we see this in the NBA Finals where one player just takes over, and it doesn't matter if the team around him is not the best. It's the fact that he's the best player on the floor makes the difference. We saw that when Dirk and the Mavs were determined to win a championship, and he found a way to do so, defeating the Miami Heat, the big three, in that first year. This was very similar in that same sense where – uh, Kawhi willed his team to victory, and they found a way to do so. That was so impressive, was they were not the best team this playoffs, but yet they found a way to be the best.
1: Oh, I mean, yeah, chemistry, I think, is what, uh, is what it was. And, and, and honestly, and I, I like to revert back to the Spurs all the time, and I'm going to do it again. Uh, it reminded me a lot of the 2014 San Antonio Spurs. Maybe not the best, most talented team. Uh, maybe you know coming back from the 2013. You know coming back 2013 for the Spurs was a tough year, but for the Raptors, for the entire city and the entire franchise, San Antonio had won four before that. It wasn't anything new for Toronto. They suffered five, six, seven years of losing, losing to LeBron that's every why, single year. That's why I
0: think Spurs. the Dallas championship's a better comparison.
1: No, okay, I can see that, but. I mean, overall, who would you rather have, Prime Dirk or Prime Kawhi?
0: Oh, Prime Kawhi every day and twice on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I mean, I feel like this Toronto team was more talented than that Mavs team. I don't I might be just a prisoner of the moment. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the big... Mavs team you're
0: talking sure. about had, you know, Jason Kidd and, uh, you know, Tyson Chandler, Sean Marion. I mean, all those guys at the very end of their run, you know, coming together to find a way to win, but... This team was so unique. Nick Nurse did a incredible job. They were gutsy in a lot of the decisions they made, the head coaching decision even. Dwayne Casey was the coach of the year in the NBA last year, was fired, and Nick Nurse turns this into a championship team. A great job by the Raptors and a great story. And also part of the
1: story is – go
0: ahead real quick, Tom.
1: I don't want to take away from the Raptors, even though I want to take away from Hawaii. Um, if KD is healthy – For the entire playoffs and not hurt, do the Raptors still win? Probably not, but you
0: could say, you know, who has been the team that has benefited more than anybody catching breaks the last four years more than Golden State has? Uh, I mean, they have run into teams that were in the exact same circumstance they went through the last four years. They've been more lucky than maybe any team in NBA history for – a, you know, for a dynasty of the luck that they were given. So it finally caught up to them. So I think it's a, a little bit of give and take in that sense, Tom. But
1: in regards to I this warriors team be a final and you have to you have to have a little luck on your side right.
0: right. In regards to this warriors team, of this group losing Durant like they did, and bringing him back, and, you know, his injury even worsens himself. You know, he's going to be out for all next year. It looks like, Uh, also with Clay Thompson, his injury, it looks like he's going to be out for all of next year. All of a sudden, not only has the dynasty ended for the Golden State Warriors, their future has gotten a lot tougher too because you want to keep those guys around, but if you do, then that's going to hurt the payroll and who you can bring in still. And if you let those guys go, there's not guys just sitting on the street that are going to play for that price tag that you were paying those two either. So there's some decisions to be made and it's almost guaranteed that the Warriors will not be a championship contender next year, that this NBA finals, that not only did they not win it, but they also hurt themselves for their future in the processes as well. Um, I mean, obviously you take every chance you can get at an NBA championship but playing in the finals did them more damage than if they would have gotten eliminated in the Western Conference Finals, Tom.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, by far. Even even if, if Kevin Durant played, still hurt himself, and then they would have lost game five. Uh, I mean, the damage was still done with KD. Uh, might not have lost Klay Thompson, obviously. Um, but hindsight's twenty twenty. You're obviously one to go and three P and the only three P that we've ever really seen in our generation was the Lakers. And we were really still too young to even understand how crazy hard and difficult that is. And the Warriors almost did it. They really did. Um, it really makes it more impressive. And I know he didn't make the playoffs this year. I mean, I know. It almost makes it more impressive what LeBron did to be able to stay healthy and do that. How what eight straight finals in a row? That's impressive. Uh, and then and just seeing how the Warriors just kind of literally fell apart and and essentially ruined all of next year for them. Um, just makes it what LeBron's done his his will to win and his uh, you know. Able to stay healthy, how he takes care of his body. Uh, not saying KD didn't, not saying Klay Thompson didn't. I mean, it happens. The injuries happen like that. But I, for me, that makes it all more impressive of lo- what LeBron was able to do—just uh, 80 straight final appearances. Well, uh, and, and also, I would
0: I would add to that, Tom, is that when you look at this bunch, this uh, this this Warriors bunch, yes, that the dynasty appears to be over. But it's not impossible for this group to come back. I mean, they're going to have to have a lot of things go their way again, find a way to get Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant to stay and be 100% healthy again and work out their contracts and everything too. The road for Golden State to get back to being a championship contender looks tough, but it's still possible Uh, that this team could still find a way to figure it out. I mean, we saw with San Antonio, yeah, they they had a dynasty, and they were great, but there was a gap there for a bit between uh, their last championship and the championship before that, too. As long as Steph Curry's there and as long as Steve Curry's there, too, the foundation is still set for Golden State uh, to contend, but they have a long ways to go. To get back on that road to being a championship contender. And really, we're going to find out how good Steph Curry really is.
1: Oh, of course. And, and just looking at it, I, how many more years does Andre Iguodala play? I could see him retiring. Yeah, I, I, I very could well could. And that after Clay, Steph, Draymond, and KD, your next best player arguably is Andre Iguodala. Now, no KD, no Clay. You got Steph, and you got Draymond, who, in my opinion, is a lackluster. I mean, hes I think he's overrated. You know how I feel about Draymond Green. Um, I mean, now you have, you know, arguably the fourth best player on that team, maybe fifth. And then you have who, – who else do you have? Sean Livingston. He's going to probably retire. He's getting old. Boogie. Um, yeah, I mean, Boogie Cousins. You know what? In the last two games – he didn't look terrible. He's not the same player either, though, because he ruptured his Achilles. That just kind of is like a segue right into where do you stand now waiting on Kevin Durant? Right. Now,
0: this whole thing, Tom, this one series in the NBA Finals has really shaken up this free agency. It looks like that things were setting up where Kawhi was going to make a move where Kevin Durant was going to make a move. It looked like it was set in stone. He was going to the New York Knicks, that Kawhi Leonard would be going to the Los Angeles Clippers, and Klay Thompson would likely stay with the Golden State Warriors. Now, it's going to be hard for Kawhi to leave after winning an NBA championship. Even if he is leaning towards leaving like the reports are that are out there, I don't care who you are. You just won a championship. That is tough to leave. And, you know, with Kevin Durant and with Klay Thompson, there's a chance that neither one, that either one of those guys, or at least one of the two, might never be the same player ever again. And if you're another team, do you really want to offer a max contract to a guy that's going to have to sit out a year? That's tough. And, and then with Golden State's situation, do you want to pay a guy to not, play in all the money and counting against the cap and everything too. I mean, there is some tough circumstances. This one series has changed the entire landscape on free agency on something that we thought we knew what
1: was, how everything was going to play out just a week or two ago. Right. And, and, and even just in Kevin Durant's case, you know, talking about going and teaming up with Kyrie on the Knicks, uh, the Knicks have some big decisions to make is Kate. I mean, what, What's going to happen with KD, I think, is your starting point. I, th- I think Kawhi would be very stupid uh, to, to try somewhere else, unless he wants a shoe deal or even a bigger market than Toronto. Uh, I think he would be dumb to leave. On KD's part, look, we, we, I mean, we got a prime example on the same team of what a ruptured Achilles or torn Achilles tendon can do. Uh, there's you know two, player, two other players that I can think of besides KD in the NBA right now that play, and that's Boogie Cousins, and that's Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay, phenomenal player before the Achilles tear, was out. What? I feel like he was out like two and a half years or something like just not really playing a whole lot. It's been amazing what he's been able to do with that. I mean, he's not what he – so, I mean, it just really brings the point of how good is Kevin Durant gonna be coming back? Is Clay Thompson gonna be a little iffy? Is he gonna pull like a almost like a Gordon Hayward? Is he gonna be is this gonna be a mental block um, for Clay Thompson coming back? I mean, there's so many factors that could really just derail this whole situation for the Warriors and derail the whole free agency for the NBA.
0: And and now, Tom, there is an opening in the NBA like there hasn't been in quite some time. The Warriors have had a stranglehold on the league, and LeBron did before that. Now, we look at the NBA right now. The, the, the Raptors, yeah, they they won the championship, but the pieces aren't there to make that thing last long-term. I mean, guys like Serge Ibaka and Mark Gasol and others, even if Kawhi's there, uh, are at the end of their careers. I mean, this was a, a Band-Aid of a project to win an NBA championship. And a very good band-aid at that, but that's not a long-term success plan. There's no dynasty coming out of Toronto anytime soon um, unless they make some significant changes of some sorts. Golden State's got their issues. The Lakers didn't even make the playoffs this year. They're a mess. And there there's wide, there is as wide of an opening as there's been in quite some time. You know, the Celtics had their problems this year. Oklahoma City has two of the best players in the NBA, but they've had their issues as well. There's a real opportunity heading into this offseason and heading into next year like uh, we've never seen. And there's a very good chance, Tom, that we could be talking about two teams in the NBA Finals next year that haven't been there in quite some time,
1: if ever at all. I mean, you're exactly right. And and, and if we want to talk about the home front for a second, I mean, Sam Presti, in my mind, just with this happening, literally in 24 hours, things have changed this much. It needs to take the next two weeks and say, you know what? Trade Steven Adams. Figure out a different contract for him or do something like that. You mentioned it's never been like this since I can remember, where it's going to be this wide open. You mentioned Toronto. not, You know, it's not going to be that way forever. So this is the most wide open. We always see, like, a team take the next step. You know, it was the, it was the Lakers. Then it was the Spurs. Then it was the Heat. Uh, I mean, I say Heat. Then it was LeBron. And now it was the Warriors. And now after this, who's it going to be next? I mean, for for me, Oklahoma City has to take the necessary steps to go ahead and capitalize if they haven't – I mean, they've had every opportunity to capitalize and make something, and it just they, – They have getting to be, they have getting to be another aggressive. Stand. They have to be
0: aggressive. I was reading an article in the Tulsa World that tried saying that, wow, this is the first season the Thunder don't have to do much. They can sit around. Are you kidding me? Total opposite. This team didn't win a playoff series. They have not won a road playoff game since Kevin Durant left Oklahoma City. Now's the time to capitalize and pounce on the window that is there because you don't know how long it's going to last. I mean, it only takes one offseason to get a super team of free agents to line up and play together on one squad. That's all it takes is one offseason. They have to take advantage of this opportunity that they have it. Get rid of Steven Adams. Do whatever you can to try to bring in another superstar or whatever it is because that window is closing, and if Russell Westbrook showed us anything this past season, he did not get any better last year. He was not a better player at all compared to what he was a season ago. And this is a make-or-break year for Sam Presti. This is a make-or-break year for Russell Westbrook. They really have to make some changes and, you know, really pounce on this opportunity, this golden opportunity that presents themselves next season. It's time to make some changes and go contend for a title.
1: Yeah, and if they don't, I can tell you there's there's a slight changing of the guard. And I hate to say it. God, I hate to say it because it doesn't involve necessarily the Spurs yet. Dallas, I hate to say it, golly, Dallas is going to be scary next year if Kristaps if Porzingis can come back and be, you know, yeah, you know, even the player he was. Um, that's still, you know, yet to be seen, but I think he'll be fine. Uh, obviously, what the Nuggets are doing is like, oh, here we go. Denver Nuggets are coming back. Um, they got the experience this year. They, and- got, they beat the Spurs seven games against Greg Popovich. And then they went seven games against the Trailblazers. There's another team. Not to mention, they, they sat out arguably their best player,
0: Michael Porter Jr., this entire season, took like a redshirt year. They didn't have to, but they wanted to make sure he had time to get his back ready and make the most out of his rookie contract. You add him into the fold next year, let's say that even if he's just a rookie of the year, Uh, that's a whole other piece that elevates your team that could take your team to another level. The Nuggets are a scary team to watch. The other situation to watch out for this offseason, Tom, we mentioned the moves pending in regards to Klay Thompson and Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard. Kyrie Irving and Anthony Davis, where they go is a big part of this too. Kyrie's an unrestricted free agent. Anthony Davis still has a year left, and he's seeking a trade. Wherever those guys go is gonna tell a lot of the story about this offseason and positioning these teams for next year. If you get, you know, Kyrie and LeBron together, or Kyrie and Anthony Davis together somewhere, or those guys each find new homes, whatever it may be, that is gonna change the landscape and uh really you know is gonna present an opportunity to itself. And and honestly, on you know, we're taping this on, you know, Friday the fourteenth. And I could not tell you right now where those two were going to end up. I, I honestly have no idea.
1: No, yeah, of course you know. I mean, uh, with the Anthony Davis thing, it's getting it's it's getting so ridiculous that the, you know multi team trading, and if Anthony Davis is even going to leave it all with with the addition of Zion, now you're like, okay, well maybe now we got something. Drew Holiday, Zion Williamson, and Anthony Davis all on the same team. Uh, whew, I like the chances. I really do, uh, of Anthony Davis potentially staying, if the Pelicans can, you know, make a good presentation. We've seen that time and time again that they cannot. So I'm not putting my cards there. Kyrie Irving, hmm, you know, the, the talk about teaming up with Kevin Durant on the Knicks, Kyrie Irving is one of the, the, in my opinion, one of the biggest wild cards of, I don't know where the hell he's going to go or what he's going to do.
0: Right. That's a big mystery at this point. Um, and he is hard to figure
1: out. He is hard to read into. He's worth – I mean, Kyrie's good. And he's one of the best dribblers we've ever seen, one of the best ball handlers I've ever watched. Uh, but to me, just leaving the Cavs and doing that whole thing and then going to the Celtics for a couple of years, it just – maybe he goes somewhere else and, and it has a bigger impact. But I, I just – I don't know. It, I, don't it, know I, don't, I don't know. I don't know going to make that big of a splash wherever he ends up or even if he these, stays at the Celtics. These two years,
0: Tom, have proven that Kyrie Irving is not a number one option. As good of a player as he is, wherever Kyrie goes, he is going to have to be the number two guy if he's going to be on a contending team. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's going to have to be it.
0: I mean, even if he stays there in Boston, they're going to have to bring in an Anthony Davis or something because Kyrie Irving is just not a leader.
1: I mean, yeah, and LeBron, obviously playing with LeBron, LeBron's going to make all the players around him look good. I don't care who you are or how big of a fan or how big of an anti-fan you are of LeBron James. It's like Tom Brady. He's going to make all the receivers look stupid good. I mean, maybe that's the case with Kyrie. Still a great player. Still would love to have him on the Spurs if they could make it fit. You know, I think anybody would be stupid not to love to have him. It's just not going to be, hey, let's build our franchise around Kyrie Irving. It's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, no thanks. I will uh, pass on that option uh, every day. That is not a plan for success. That's been proven out in his uh, tenure in Boston. If he's going to stay, he's got to get some help. Uh, Someone else to take on that load because he is not that guy to do that. Uh, Still more to come with uh, Tom. We'll be back with him here in just a little while for right now. But first, we will uh, bring in Kelly Masters, uh, NFL agent, to uh, talk uh, all things football from the National Football League to – the AF folding to the future of the XFL from an agent's perspective. All that and more as we continue here on the Jones Report. Well, it's been a minute, but we're pleased to welcome back into the Jones Report this week. It is uh, NFL agent Kelly Masters who joins us on the program right now. Kelly, welcome back. Good to have you here uh, with us today. What's going on with you?
2: Thank you so much, Tyler. Good to be back. I am a... Uh... I guess gearing up for a uh, a busy summer. Summer is usually when everyone else has some vacation, but it's a it's a busy time here. So, <laughs> but I'm excited. I would
0: imagine so. Just this time in the league, right now, Kelly, you have the uh, you know the June one post cuts that happen this time of year. There's a couple GM changes that are occurring right now as well after this this draft and free agency isn't concluded. And then you're gearing towards training camp and got these mini camps and OTAs and stuff like that. This is a pretty hectic time, I imagine, for you right now as you're gearing up for this season trying to finalize some things.
2: It is. So I have uh, I have seven rookies in that are going through their first round of, of OTAs and many camps. And uh, it's it's obviously a whole new world for them. And so just really helping them make that adjustment and figure out what what the next few months are going to look like for them. Um, it's a major transition. And so I'm really active with that. My veteran players are, you know, they've been through that. They know the drill. They've been through this process, um, but still staying on top of uh, each of their contract situations. I have several players that are looking at possible extensions Sometimes, th- sometime this year. I have um, a couple of free agents that we're still um, trying to decide what to do um, next and, and uh, which route to go with them. And so um, lots going on, lots of career decisions being made. Um, and then we're also going to have a little fun together. I, I'm bringing all my players into Oklahoma City, which is where I'm based, uh, and we're doing a, a, a huge – football clinic, youth football clinic next Saturday. So that's going to be a lot of fun as well.
0: What's the uh, football clinic entail?
2: So it is a uh, fundamentals camp through, sponsored by the NFL Foundation um, and the NFLPA. So all of my play about a dozen players or so, current players, and then some of my former players and some legends from the University of Oklahoma uh, are gonna be stopping by. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna have it. It's gonna be a one- day football camp, boys and girls, uh, I think ages seven to 14 at, at Westmore High School here in Oklahoma City. and uh, there about 200 kids are gonna get coached up by a bunch of NFL players and it's gonna be a good time. We're really, really excited about it.
0: That's great. that's great. Uh, Kelly uh, with you mentioned contract extensions and those things that come up, uh, you know from an outside perspective you know I, I don't think most of us really know is there ever a good time for these things I mean the in season I imagine's got to be tough but we mentioned yeah. so much going on here how wh- what's the process if uh and not not talking to anyone even specifically sure. but what what's the timetable of when you start a negotiation and when you try to get one done and when's an ideal time to possibly have an extension done you know
2: its It really uh, depends so much on each individual player's situation and their team. Uh, You see a lot of changes going on right now with whether it's in the front office. Yeah, you you just you know a lot of uh, a lot of movement right now. So it's an awkward time to work on anything contract extension wise. Um, And then there there are certainly times when when you want to bring it up. I have certain teams and certain players where we're having ongoing discussions. They know that you know, my player is interested in, in being there long-term uh, and getting a deal done beyond his rookie deal. Um, but you also don't want to look so desperate <laughs> at the same time to, to get a deal done um, because the idea is you, you want to work with a team that is willing to pay a player uh, to stay with that team and, and, and show that they value that player as part of, of the team's future um, but you also don't want to, as an agent, I don't want to diminish a potential uh, free agent market uh, or having some other teams providing uh, opportunities or even leverage during the contract negotiation process. And so it's, it's kind of a dance. You have to figure out, okay, when is, it a, it, when is it an appropriate time to bring this up that this is something we want to start working on versus do we hold back and let the team approach us about a possible extension? And again, it, it's, it's, It's not the same for every player. Every single situation is different.
0: So, Kelly, these situations are all different from one another when you might be making the phone call or when the team might be making the phone call. But whatever that may be, you're you're planning these things out well in advance of what the the approach is you're going into in these contract negotiations of sorts.
2: Definitely. I think people have an impression of agents that, you know, to be an effective agent and you're, you're in there, you know, knocking on the door, pounding on the table with a with general manager every day to demand, you know, playtime for your player and a new contract for your player. Um, and it's just, it's a lot more strategic than that. It's, you know, these are our relationships. You know, as an agent, I've, I've been in the business for almost 15 years now. Um, most of the general managers, uh, in the NFL, I've known either as general managers or I've known them since they were area scouts, you know, back in the day. And so it's relationships, and they're professional, and they're, you know, business-minded. Uh, but you're dealing with people, and so understanding um, how to how to appreciate the relationship and 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 use that to develop mutual respect for each other's positions is so important. And then just the timing, the timing of how you approach, how and when you approach a team, and what you know, what you uh, can agree on, what you disagree on, and, and when it's time to look elsewhere um, are all just decisions that have to be made based upon a ton of factors. So yeah, it's it's very, uh, it, there's not one way to be an, an agent. <laughs> there are many, many things that you have to learn about relationships and timing and in the whole negotiation process.
0: No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Kelly Masters joining us right now here on the Jones Report this week. And uh, Kelly, uh, tell me about some of the uh, players that uh, you're working with uh, this time around. You mentioned you have seven rookies and then some veteran clients of sorts, too. Who's some of the uh, notable names that uh, you're working with now?
2: Well, Blake Darwin is probably one that that a lot of people recognize. Uh, He is a tight end with the Dallas Cowboys, came on strong at the end of last season, had some big shoes to fill, and then, you know, surprisingly, um, Witten decides to unretire and come back. And so Blake is now finding himself in a position where he was, you know, he was running with the ones last year. He had a, a great end of the season with a, a game versus the Giants with three touchdowns and was named Offensive Player of the Week. Um, and so a lot of, you know, a lot of hype and a lot of excitement going into the off season And then, boom, he's he's back behind Witten. Uh, but he is, has had such a great attitude about it. He sees this as another opportunity to spend one more year learning from one of the best to ever play the position. And he's, he's taking it all in stride and he knows that his future is with the Cowboys. Uh, He's just going to have to be a little patient this year. David Moore is a uh, receiver with the Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks. He is, um, has done an incredible job for the Seahawks. He's still kind of an up and comer, but now he's in the role where, you know, it's time to step up. Doug Uh, Baldwin has retired and has left some, some big shoes to fill. And uh, just heard uh, from Russell Wilson yesterday. He was giving a, um, some answers during his press conference that were very favorable to David, talking about what a playmaker he is, and they can put him anywhere on the field, and, and he can make plays and score. So I'm um, really excited to see what David uh, has in front of him. I've got three rookies with the Dallas Cowboys. Jalen Guyton is a receiver out of North Texas who I think really has a lot of potential to, uh, to make a splash this year and make himself known. Andrew Dowell, who's a linebacker from Michigan State. He is with the Cowboys as well. And then Cody McElroy, another tight end um, with Dallas. Of course, I still have Tressway with the Redskins. My my old man, he's the the punter with the Redskins. He's going into season six uh, with the Redskins and a number of other great rookies around the league. So it's going to be a fun year.
0: That's terrific. That's great to see uh, you working with a number of people and uh, doing a great job with that, Kelly. Uh, you, you primarily work in the NFL, but you work in other sports too. How different is it working with these these NFL teams and these NFL players as as opposed to the uh, deals you work in these other sports leagues and with these other athletes uh, in, in in other sports? Yeah, every you
2: know every sport is uh, there are similarities. Um, but, they're, but they're far, more, far you know, more different than people would realize. Um, baseball uh, is, such a, is such a different, um, really different world from the NFL. First of all, baseball, and as I'm sure you're well aware, has become very data-driven, very analytics-driven. And decisions are being made in the draft as well as you know, movement through the, the farm system, and um, between teams that is is not necessarily based on you know, scouting uh, in the traditional sense but really is based on what is what do the analytics say and you've still got some old old school thinkers in there, but a lot of the decisions that are now being made in baseball have, have everything to do with uh, with data and analytics. so as an agent I have to be cognizant of that because of course that impacts my players and I think the thing that um, and dealing with baseball players and the mindset um, that they've had coming up through school um, and then going through, you know, a lot of them, a number of years in a minor league system where they're not making any money, they're just grinding it out, you know, day after day, year after year, um, just trying to make that, you know, trying to make it to the uh, the 40-man roster is, is a, different, it's a different path than most NFL players. NFL players have to be ready to step up day one right out of college and play at the highest level and it's uh it's, it's both have their difficulties and they have uh, uh their challenges and so it's two different to, two totally different worlds um with really only the, the the only similarity being that we're dealing with elite athletes who are incredibly hard workers and so i i really embrace the challenges that come with working with both
0: oh yeah no 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 question about it kelly that's uh that's fantastic, uh, and and great to see some of these uh, these people you're working with, and really uh, just take off. And 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 one of the things I've always said with you, Kelly, is that you know you you always make a point to find good people to work with that you're you're also yeah. trying to mentor of sorts with these athletes of not only just finding you know incredibly talented gifted players but good people to represent you and represent your organization and, that, and that's been a big key of that you, you you emphasize family a lot within your organization
2: you bet and it's, it is interesting how as i don't know that I set out to do this. Um, intentionally other than than that I knew I wanted to run my business with integrity and I wanted to put people first and value people, not just because uh, they're talented uh, at a sport, but just because they have great potential to make an impact on the world. And that's how I saw myself getting into the business is I want to have a greater purpose to what I do. And I, I tend to attract clients that share those same values, that have, that see the bigger picture, have a heart uh, for others, and, and want to make an impact and leave a legacy, and so it just it continues to build in that direction. That we're we're working more and more with players that are not just exceptional athletes, but are also great leaders off the field, um, and have you know, have goals and ambitions that are beyond just being the best of the sport. That's um, so. Yeah, it's it's worked, and as we are, we are family, and and i that's why I'm so excited about this upcoming weekend with the camp because we're going to have the whole family in one place together, I think for the first time. So it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: That's terrific. That's uh, that's great to see. Kelly, uh, you're, you're also an attorney too. And with a law degree and everything, what, what, what do you think makes that different for you? Do you see any advantages or maybe a different perspective that, that you have by being an attorney and having a law degree, as opposed to some of the different agents out there? What, what does that do for sure. you per se compared to maybe some of the others?
2: Well, my path was different than probably the vast majority of agents. A lot of uh, guys and gals go to school knowing that they want to become sports agents, and they may get a law degree because it's required uh, or a graduate degree uh, if you're wanting to become a, a certified contract advisor with the NFL or or with another league that requires a postgraduate degree. Uh, and so a lot of agents have law degrees, but they may not have the, the practical experience of practicing law. And all I did for the first five years out of law school was I, I was a litigator who also had a specialty in nonprofit law. And so I uh I feel like that gave me such great, you know, perspective and, and life experience. So that I do tend to be uh I, I really I I tend to look at situations um, I wouldn't say negatively because I'm I'm an optimistic person. But I also am able to identify, okay, here are the pitfalls that we need to avoid. Here's how, you know, I've been in litigation. I've been, uh, I've been defending or representing clients when things go bad. And so I have that, that perspective coming into representing an athlete with, okay, let's, we know how things could go bad. Let's work backwards and protect our athletes, uh, from finding ourselves in litigation situations. And so I think it, it didn't necessarily make me, you know, negative or pessimistic, but it certainly gave me um, a great understanding of, of the realities of business and legal matters, um, and how to be protective, how to be an effective advocate, but also be protective. And I think having those experiences sets me apart from, you know, say other agents who have only been agents their entire um, career. So, yeah, I do think it's a definitely a differentiator, and I certainly share that with my clients on the recruiting trail. Every agent is looking for. How can they set themselves apart? And that's certainly something that I can can share with my clients to give them peace of mind that I'm going to have their best interest at heart no matter what.
0: What uh, what law are you still practice in? Uh, what kind of cases you you work on besides just the uh, the sports agent side of things? What's what kind of things you would you specialize uh, from from that standpoint?
2: Yeah. So I would still say ninety to ninety five percent of what I do is strictly football. <laughs> strictly work for my athletes. I do uh from time to time handle litigation matters. I, I've had great experience with that. And so if it makes sense for me to take on a case, I will. Um, but most of my work is is in the nonprofit sector. So helping people with starting family foundations, starting charities if they have a specific issue that's that's is on their heart or maybe a vision to make a difference. I do handle uh, a lot of nonprofit work still Um, do some estate planning, which I do for all of my athletes as well as others outside of that. So I would say most of my legal work now is nonprofit or estate planning um, with an occasional litigation matter thrown in there.
0: Nice. Nice. You're a jack of all trades. You got it all covered, you know, from, from all (laughs) the different aspects.
2: I try to focus on, on the things that, that will help my clients the most but. I still enjoy, you know. I think the I think the legal work keeps me sharp. So. That's great.
0: That's great to see, yeah. Kelly. A couple more things with you here. Uh, the the state of the NFL right now is, is so you know it, it's as popular as it's ever been but the players as a whole aren't getting quite the cut money-wise as you would see compared to maybe the NBA or, or Major League Baseball. Uh, we know oh. that the collective bargaining agreement is coming up here in a couple oh. more years. Uh, what, what what role, if any, do you have in that? Uh, do, are, are you there giving just advice to your players? Are you talking to the union at all? What what kind of uh, situation will you find yourself in when uh, that you know circumstance comes up here in a couple of years?
2: That's a great question. Uh, for right now, uh, really, agents are, I don't want to say limited, um, but our, our primary role is preparing our players. Uh, and, of course, that's on a couple of fronts. First of all, preparing all of our players for a potential lockout, uh, helping them save their money, have a plan in place, uh, look at their contract situation and how that could be impacted by the CBA, the new CDA. Uh, And so really working with our players to make sure they're educated and prepared for the whole process is important. And then, uh, of course, player representatives uh, from each team will be more hands-on and more involved. And so encouraging our players to to get involved in the process with their union, um, that first and foremost is is important uh, to really encourage that, that involvement. And then also the education side of it, really understanding what is it that the union wants to accomplish, needs to accomplish on behalf of players, and how can players be vocal in that process uh, to see that those, those changes are, are made. Um, it's, it's been interesting over the last few years. I, I teach sports law at the law school and then at a, another university here in Oklahoma, and uh, we always do exercises uh, where half the class you know, is the, the union, the other half represents the owners. And we negotiate the new collective bargaining agreement. It's always interesting the topics that come up, uh, you know, in those discussions. And I think a lot of them will be the same discussions that come up in real life with the negotiation of the CBA. The hard part with football is really the nature of the game and the nature of of, of the careers. Careers are shorter. The risk of injury is much higher. um, Long-term effects um, are potentially more detrimental Um, And you're asking players who may only be playing three years in the league to give up a lot uh, for the benefit of players in the future. And that's hard. It's hard to ask players to to miss paychecks and to potentially give up a year when they only may get three or five years in the NFL to really take a stand. And so you have to pick and choose, and the union will have to pick and choose, what are the non-negotiables? What are the things that we really want to press for, and what are we willing to give up to get there? So that's it's going to be a complex situation, but a lot of what you see with the way the union approaches things is just based on the nature of the, the business.
0: That is fascinating, and uh, you know, just whether it's salary wise or whether it's uh, you know the the money that the NFL gets, uh, so so much of it, Kelly is. Uh, whether it's endorsements or the media's role in this as well, you know, we we see all the money that they're dishing out to, you know, just make this happen here. Uh, you know, what's what's the relationship you try to push uh, to, uh, you know, whether it's endorsements or working with the media here? Uh, are, are you, you know, trying to encourage your players like, hey, you know, let's try to put you out there as much as possible, or working with them? How how does that dynamic work of the media and some advertisers involved in working with your players?
2: You know, it's a balance. Um, you can get – and there's, there's so many different directions I could go with this answer. First of all, you've got – with football, uh, you have so many players. Uh, and really, the, the general public may not even be familiar um, with 40 of the players per roster. They're familiar with, I mean, maybe the quarterback or the star, you know, the star DB or, or the receivers, obviously. The, the guys that you see all the time around the ball – uh, fans and the general public are going to be more acquainted with those, those players as individuals but you have a lot of really incredible hardworking you know guys on the offensive line or the defensive line or the, the unsung heroes uh, on the team that really don't have the presence and but all of the players still would you know want to have endorsement deals they want to get uh, paid for what they're doing on and off the field and so there's a bit of a challenge with finding lucrative opportunities for the guys that maybe aren't uh, don't have the star power or the recognition um, out in the public, so that's a challenge. You've also got players, you know, like Pat Mahomes or, or guys that are, um, you know, highly recognized, highly decorated, um, well accomplished, and they're getting bombarded with opportunities. And it's do we do, you know, twenty different endorsement deals, or do we focus on the four or five that really, really fit with our brand? And so there's there's that end of the spectrum where you're trying to manage you're really not going out there looking for endorsement deals. You're managing the onslaught of of opportunities that are coming in and identifying who are the partners we want to have going forward and how can we uh, value those relationships the right way. And so you've you've got those two ends of the spectrum. And then when it comes to media, as I train all of my players, and I I have a journalism background. That was what my undergrad degree was in, and I worked for the CBS affiliate in news. Uh, before I, here at Oklahoma City before I went to law school. And so I try to help my employers understand the media is not the enemy um, to you. you know, yes, they, you, you want to have a great working relationship with members of the media and understand what their role is and what their job is. Um, and if you're, if, if you're not respecting that, um, then it can become a, an unintentionally negative situation. And so I think just helping my players with perspective when it comes to the media is very important.
0: That's terrific. Uh, I think that message needs to be louder for a lot of (laughs) athletes out there. We're not here to go after you. You know, this is a uh, this is a business. We're here to work with you and cover you. And we we have a job just like you guys do, too. So it's an interesting dynamic in that sense. Uh, Kelly, uh, one of the things now is, you know, there's such a demand more for football than there is ever been whether it's you know the XFL which is on its way next year we saw the AAF even though it didn't survive yeah. financially it did have success when it came to ratings wise and the interest level the yeah. CFL still been around as well are, are you encouraging your players like you know hey if if you don't get that call right away from the NFL do this for a bit and then see what happens uh, what what's what's your interest level in those leagues uh, if an NFL opportunity may not be yeah. available right away?
2: I had two players that played in the AAF. They actually had great experiences (laughs) right up until the end, um, unfortunately. Uh, But we are looking seriously at the XFL, and there are players right now that I have that um, maybe they've been out of the league for for a minute. We've been trying to get them back in, and nothing is really uh, happening as fast as we want it to. And so we're looking to opportunities with the XFL. The XFL has been very very proactive um they've had representatives at the combines the last couple of combines they've reached out to agents they have uh reached out to players uh, through coaches they've made some incredible hires and it's as always just as i was going to the aas um i'm always skeptical of startup leagues no matter how great it sounds how great it looks you probably are aware the aas had some incredible people involved from a football standpoint uh, it was recognizable name. I oh yeah, recognized. Bill
0: Bill Polian and Steve Spurrier good. as good as it gets.
2: As good as it gets, and guys like Phil Savage and and uh, um, I'm drawing a blank now, but but uh, Tony Salfley, just guys that have been around um, the league, you know, the NFL forever, that were now working for the AAS. And I thought, well, my goodness, they have the people in place, they have the coaches, they have the front office staff in place to really make this successful. What it usually well, what it always comes down to with startup leagues is financial. Uh, it's do we have the money to really make this work long-term beyond just the flash in the pan at the beginning. And that was the demise of the AAF, among other things, it sounds like. But the financial piece was was not there. Um, with the XFL, again, they've made some huge hires. I never in a million years believed Bob Stoops would, <laughs> would coach for the XFL. Right. And there he is. And they've made some other additional uh, really impressive hires, and I think they're positioning themselves well from a media standpoint. They seem to be financially stable. Uh, I'm optimistic, but uh, maybe cautiously optimistic with the XFL.
0: Right, right. Uh, no, no question about it. Uh, it, it. With you being an OU alum, and you mentioned Bob Stoops and, and everything, you know, he's not only the head coach of his Dallas team, he is going to be the president and general manager of that squad as <laughs> well. Are you? Are exactly. you? Looking forward to the opportunity of being at the negotiating table with Bob and talking about maybe sure. some of your players there going possibly with <laughs> Dallas?
2: Well, and it's, it's interesting, of course, being here in Oklahoma. I do have a number of players from Oklahoma that are either uh, in the league now trying to make it or are free agents. And that's an obvious fit to get them to go play for a coach that they're familiar with who helped to build um, and carry on the tradition at OU. It's, it's just a no-brainer that that would be a pipeline. Uh, and I think Bob seems excited about the opportunity. He genuinely, you know, I think is embracing, um, this kind of a new approach. Uh, to a football for him. It's it's a very different role that really allows him to focus on the things that he loves. And I, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to negotiating with him.
0: That'll be terrific. I, I'm excited about it. I hope this league works out. And uh, yes. hopefully they can get some good talent involved and see that league be successful. Because there, there is a market for it. There's just got to be a stable plan That's- behind it to to make it all work. Kelly, uh, thanks for the time, as always. Appreciate you joining us. Before we let you go, uh, plug the uh, the clinic one more time and, and uh, where people can get more information on that and connect with you and everything from there.
2: You bet. Well, if you follow me on social media, you see it all over my social media pages, at KMM Sports. Uh, And then our website, KMMsports.com. If you have uh, kiddos or teams that want to come participate in Oklahoma City, it's June 22nd from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Westmore High School. All the information and the link to get registered is on my website. That's at KMMsports.com. And you click on the KMM Cares tab.
0: Awesome stuff. Kelly, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us.
2: You bet. Thanks, Tyler.
0: Big thanks to Kelly Masters for joining us this week on the Jones Report. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges back here with you now. And since we last joined you here on the Jones Report, uh, we received, Tom, our first ever one-star rating on iTunes. And what do we always tell you after every show? It's leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And, you know, we're, we're not offended. We're not upset by any means. That we got this one-star review, I'm kind of surprised it took this long for it to happen. Actually, but what what I am was uh, was upset about was there was no username, no comment. I mean, like if you hate us, just tell us why. We'll be glad to. You know, we're all ears. We want to know what we can improve on. Tom, that's all what we're here for. We we're just trying to become better. We we just want to get better every day. If you hate us, just tell us why. That's all we ask.
1: It was. It was after the tangent show, wasn't it? It was. Yes. Uh, those bastards. You know, I bet it was Brian Nolan. You think so? I bet it was Nolan. Are, are you putting it out there? Are you officially
0: accusing him of being the guilty one to leave us a one-star review? Yep.
1: That's it. That's that's my. That's my. Uh, that's who. That's who I think it is.
0: Well, even if it was Brian, like you know. It's very easy to reach out to us. I, I want to know where what we could do better, Tom. I mean, what is it that the people want? Do they want less tangents or do they want more? Because, honestly, I thought we had a great show last week of just, you know, pulling stuff out great. of our ass pretty much.
1: I thought it was great. I mean, we don't get to really talk out of our ass that much. I mean, sometimes we do, maybe a little bit every show, but not for a full show.
0: No. No. But... It was a good time last week. So, whoever you are, whether you're Brian Nolan or you know, some guy that lives in his mom's basement or Brian Nolan who lives in his mom's basement, uh, please tell us uh, what we can do better. We're we're just trying to get better a little bit every single day here on the Jones Report. We're here to serve you, and we want to know how we can always make this a better product. That's what we're always here to do here on the uh, Jones Report. But, Tom, the uh, U.S. Open going on right now. As we're taping this, they're wrapping up the second round and Justin Rose is atop the leaderboard with Gary Woodland, uh, both there at 7-under. And I want to start with Gary. Gary, the uh, KU alum, Topeka native. This guy has been playing out of his mind the last two years. He was, for the first few years of his career, he was a borderline, you know, PGA Web.com tour player. He was very fringe. He had his moments at times, but for the most part, he was pretty much just an average golfer. But within the last two years, he has been a contender in almost every major. He's been at the top of the leaderboard at different times. And now we're talking about heading into the weekend, not just after you know a good showing in one or two rounds, but heading into the weekend, Gary Woodland has a realistic shot to win his first major championship. Now, I was I, I said this a while back that before his career is over with, Gary will win a major championship at some point in time, whether that's a year from now or five years from now, ten years from now, whatever. Gary's a good golfer. He's got a good long-range game, and uh, his short game is really good at times, too. He, that major championship's going to happen, but the way that he's playing this weekend, that might be sooner rather than later, and at the very least, at the very least with Gary Woodland, Tom, with him contending this weekend in another major again, the way he is, he is uh, he is looking good for down the road. It might not be this weekend, although it could be, but I think that we're talking about Gary Woodland being a major champion now sooner rather than later as opposed to this time, you know, two years ago when it looked like that. You know, he was going to be lucky just to even stay on the the PGA Tour,
1: right? And and you know what's great about that as well. He's a lot more interesting, at least in my opinion, than Brooks Koepka. I mean, I like what Brooks is doing. I mean, he's playing some great golf. You know, I mean, he's just showing out. But uh, I, I think for the sport of golf, and maybe maybe I'm not a purist. I'm not a purist about golf. Let's be let's be honest. I'm not. Uh, you know. It really takes someone to be a, a 100% purist about the game and like to follow it on TV religiously. Um, we both know that I don't follow it religiously and that I'm not a purist about it. I like the entertainment side of it. So while others might like the Brooks Koepka, just real purist, no BS. I'm the guy who's cheering for Ricky Fowler. Anybody who who seems like they have a personality outside of uh of, you know maybe throwing a club in the water every now and then. Right.
0: You, you want to see a Rob Gronkowski type in golf.
1: Wouldn't that be something? Yeah. Wouldn't that be something or, a, a, you know, in, just more Ricky Fowler. Um, that's not even because of OSU bias. Uh, but no, Gary Woodland, I like what he's doing. And, and you know, the way that Brooks Kupka's played uh, has been ridiculous, but... And it's not necessarily time for a change by any means, uh, but it is nice to see Gary Woodland kind of come from not so hot uh, to all of a sudden bang right now. I mean, it, it essentially come out of the, no pun intended, uh, woodwork.
0: Right. Yeah. The woodwork of Topeka, Kansas, to all of a sudden be looking like uh, he's going to be a major champion at some point. He, he's got a shot to do so. It could be this weekend at Pebble Beach. It could be down the road, but I, I think that's going to happen for him sooner rather than later. Uh, his game has played very well in these major championships, and much like Brooks Kepka in this sense, and I think that this is where Gary Woodland kind of applies, is that he his game has better suited himself for major championships as opposed to the weekly PGA Tours. You heard Brooks Kepka say a while back that the majors are just easier, that... You know you're more prepared. You're ready for these circumstances. The, the big stage, uh, it's easier for him. And I think that you're seeing that with Gary, where he his game steps up a notch. Where he's more prepared for these majors. So it's quite the story to see. It's great to see him in contention this weekend. You mentioned Brooks Kepka. He, uh, as we're taping this, uh, was just a couple shots back of the lead. He's right there uh, with another shot to win a U.S. Open would be his third straight and would be his second major this year and would be his fourth major title in his last, I believe, eight, maybe nine attempts. Just unreal. Brooks Kepka, whether he wins this weekend or not, we are talking about a guy that right now, Tom, is playing as good of a go- of golf right now. Let's say that he finishes just even the top 15, Let besides just winning it. If he finishes the top 15, this will be the best that we have seen one golfer in my humble opinion, since we saw tiger in the late two thousands of a guy that's got a shot to win every single week. That's going out there. That's winning majors. That's a threat. And he's starting to put some fear in people too. Uh, I mean, there's not a whole lot of similarities between him and tiger personality wise, but we're already seeing Brooks Kepka start to take on effect. When Brooks Kepka is climbing up that leaderboard when he's teeing off, people are taking notice of this guy, and everybody stops for a minute. Everybody's watching what Brooks Kepka is doing.
1: Yeah, it seems like that. And, and just you know, when you think about just winners, okay, you think about Michael Jordan, you think about Kobe, you think about LeBron, you think, you know, you think about Tom Brady, you think, just think of all the winners just outright competitive in nature, and just true winners of a game, right? You, just, you think about that. You obviously, in this case, Tiger Woods. Uh, you just – that drive to win, that will to win, that almost a gleam in their eye. And it's strange to not, for me, and maybe I don't pay enough attention, uh, to not see that in Brooks Koepka, but he does it anyway. I mean, he's just – he makes it look easy. I don't – I mean, I was watching – I think a couple of weeks ago, and just really just kind of watching, like, okay, you know, all the winners in sports they have that thing about him, and I haven't figured that out about Brooks Koepka, but he's just doing it anyway. He doesn't care. Here's he who he is, is. Nonchalant.
0: Here's who he is, Tom. Of that, you know, I've called him the silent assassin. That he does not. He's not going to draw attention to himself. He's not the loudest guy. He doesn't celebrate. You know, he does. He's not Tiger by any means. But we've seen the silent assassins in sports. One of them just won an NBA championship in Kawhi Leonard. We saw it with Jimmy Johnson in NASCAR, where Jimmy, I mean, he was a good guy, but he wasn't Jeff Gordon. He wasn't Dale Jr., but he would go out there and dominate and you know, do it with no questions asked. Uh, I mean, that's what I think we're seeing, who Brooks Kefka is, is he's among that group. He's not the flashy you know, in your face guy. He is. He comes from the olive branch that is the Kawhi Leonard's, the Jimmy Johnson's of the world that dominate in that sense.
1: You know, I can see that Kawhi is a good, uh, definitely a good comparison, and and obviously Jimmy Johnson as well. I mean, may, I mean, even maybe compare him to like a, a Dirk. You know, now Dirk didn't. I mean, Dirk won, and Dirk has that. You know. Ability to him, but he wasn't wasn't necessarily flashy. I don't want to compare him to the white foreigner in basketball, but in a way, he is just like that kid that you know gets maybe I wouldn't say pick last. Obviously, he he just is. uh, You know, if you look at him, you don't just think playing as good as Tiger did back in the early two thousands. I don't. You don't. When when you look you know, at him, Tom. Judge a book by a cover, but when you look at him, Tom, amazing. you think board
0: man gets paid.
1: Right, right. You think he? I mean, he looks like he—he's like a you know just a young professional corporate job. Maybe on you know maybe could be on city council in a couple of years. Uh, maybe you know a good family man looking type guy. He doesn't look like he's gonna go out there and and drop five birdies in a row and you know have a stretch of a lead on a Saturday afternoon by twelve strokes. That doesn't—he doesn't look like that, but no. he is, and that is—it's one of the greatest anomalies in sports right now. Um, Justin
0: Rose—he uh, went into uh, Friday night as the clubhouse leader at seven under, and he led after the first round. Justin Rose looks the part. He looks like your atypical golfer—a guy that could have golfed in the 1950s or could have golfed in the 2010s and he would fit into any era. He is your atypical golfer. Justin Rose is very good, and he's always going to be in the world golf rankings, you know, top 10, top 15. He has won the U.S. Open. He has won major championships before. If, I, I think with Justin Rose, I'll put it this way, Tom. If he wins this weekend, won't surprise me at all, just because, I mean, he's he's very consistent. But then again, if he falls off, if he gets passed up by a more powerful player, somebody that goes on a run of some sorts. That won't be shocking either. I think you kind of just know what you're getting with Justin Rose, that he's going to play his game, and he's going to be consistent doing at it. You know, that seven-under mark that he finished the second round at, I mean, maybe he bumps that up to 10, maybe even 13 by the time Sunday comes around. But um, if he gets that, you know, that's that's great. I think it's going to, for somebody to beat Justin Rose, they're, they're going to have to really go – on a run of themselves. Cause I don't think that Justin Rose is going to beat himself per se.
1: No, of course not. And you're dead on uh, about the atypical golfer. I mean, he just, he looks the part where Brooks Kupka doesn't, but at the same time, I mean, going to be top 10, top 15. And, and you know, you're You, you know what you're getting, um, essentially. I mean, he looks the part, plays the part, um, you know, I'm, great guy you know seems like a great guy nothing you know stands out about you know lack of character or anything like that um and and you mentioned it that not gonna just outright i mean you're gonna have to go on a run um so i wouldn't be shocked if justin rose wins but i also wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't yeah i mean that's a that's kind of another one of those things we're gonna for me and i don't follow it obviously that much but almost like a I don't I don't know how to put it. It's almost like a like a storybook. I mean there's characters in golf or you know, they almost like a, a movie or a play or a, you right. Know, you have your stereotypes and it's it's really a thing right now.
0: We have uh we've gone about twelve minutes without mentioning Tiger Woods of I think we've mentioned him by name but not necessarily more in depth per doing. se. What he's doing. And I think that might be blasphemy to even talk golf and go not that long talking in depth with Tiger. <laughs> Tiger won under as he finished on a Friday. And with the leader sitting around seven under or so, seven, eight under, that's not a huge mountain to climb. If Tiger can have, you know, a great round on moving day, then he's right there and he's got a shot to win this thing. Uh, if he can you know, put it together. I mean, this is setting up to be a situation where Tiger's not out of it by any means, and he's still got a chance. I mean, he's got his work cut out for him, no question about it, but it's not over for Tiger Woods, and based on what we've seen in the past with Tiger, that's fine. He just needs to be in a position. I, I don't think neither one of us are betting on Tiger to pull this off, but we're certainly not counting him out because we've seen him do this before in this circumstance, in this position, the position he's in right now, not the best, but not something that he certainly can't take advantage of.
1: I mean, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Tiger Woods. And and you just saying, that just had me thinking, wouldn't it be nuts for him to win this weekend and also have won the Masters? I, I mean, that, I was thinking about just the craziest. When we look back at 2019 and we look, I mean, he's already.
0: Let's say that he doesn't win this and even wins the British Open. If he wins two majors in 2019, that would be a heck of a story. Him just winning the Masters alone, if he doesn't win another golf tournament the rest of the year, it is an incredible year for Tiger Woods just winning the Masters. But if he can pull off two majors, oh, my goodness, you talk about a story. There's one right there.
1: Yeah, I mean, even just so far, I mean, we're halfway through twenty nineteen, and in six months, when we look back on the the top stories uh, of the year in sports, I mean, we're going to be talking about obviously the Raptors dethroning the Warriors and all that, and we're going to, I, maybe on the lesser end, maybe we'll talk about Rafael Nadal winning the French Open at his age and how crazy that is, uh, and and we're going to be talking about Tom Brady getting his fifth ring and but. I hope by God the top story is Tiger winning the Masters just when you know with everything happening with all you know all the big sports moments and, and especially you know the Raptors winning and, and even Tom Brady getting the getting the ring uh, I think what the Tiger did this year I don't it'd be hard I'd be hard pressed to uh, see anything top it
0: it's the greatest comeback story in golf history and one of if not the greatest comeback stories in sports history, and if you can add to that, that, you know, hey, get another major on top of that, too, would only make that story even better if, uh, he, if he can accomplish that That fleet. Uh, one more for you, uh, Rory McIlroy, he's uh, within that top five, only a couple shots back. That is a guy that has played really well as of late. He won last week at the Canadian Open, his first appearance there ever. And, uh, you know, he's just a few shots back. Rory is a guy that I wouldn't count out uh, just yet as a, possibly a contender this weekend If who can come through. And, and uh, certainly, if you're looking for a name to make a move on moving day, besides the obvious of Tiger Woods or Brooks Koepka, uh, I mean, I, I could see, you know, Rory being the guy that just goes off on moving day and puts himself in great position on Sunday. Rory's got a chance to be that guy. All right. Before we get out of here, Tom, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week this week. And, you know, I I was in Utah back in March, and Tom said I had a little bit too much fun down there for some reasons that we probably can't even state on this show. So, Tom, we're going to go back to Utah. I'm not going with Utah in this story. I'm not involved here, but I do uh, respect the hustle of this story here from Utah.
1: Right, and, and it would I mean, I think you could just say Utah or the story from Utah, and I honestly think people can probably guess what it's going to involve, uh, and it's not huh. the Utah Jazz. No, no, we're not, <laughs> I mean, we're not talking about Rudy real.
0: Gobert and uh, Donovan Mitchell here.
1: Okay, get this. Uh, the character in our story, could you imagine if it was Rudy Gobert? Right. What if it was Grayson right, Allen? Right, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Wouldn't that be something? It was uh, Carl Malone. Oh,
0: that would be fantastic.
1: I would love this
0: (laughs) if it was Carl Malone.
1: Anyway, this uh, this is coming out of uh, Utah. It's a Barstool Sports article. I don't think we've had a Barstool Sports in a while, actually. Um, Title of the article was Mad Respect to the Mormon Millionaire who held his own The Bachelor with 20 women Competing for him. And there's a bunch of pictures of, uh, you know, scantily dressed women on the front. Um, source, 20 women went on a group day with an anonymous Mormon millionaire last week with participants signing non-disclosure agreements to prevent them from revealing his identity. The woman selected from a pool of 2,500 applicants, went on a four-course dinner social with The Bachelor last Friday, According to the Salt Lake Tribune, the evening also included a PowerPoint presentation detailing the top ten reasons he had listed the matchmaking agency, a group conversation, and a five-minute mini-date with each woman. Um, The competition was advertised last month by several huge billboards lining Interstate 15 in Salt Lake City, offering the chance to win a date with a wealthy member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. LDS millionaire looking for his wife. They read exclusive VIP event, June seventh. Application, according to L Magazine, included a drop-down menu for candidates to select their body type from slender, athletic, average, a few extra pounds, large, and petite. While the man stands concealed behind an opaque. So, but the agency offered a few clues about him. Uh, an LDS matchmaker, Aaron Schertz, told the Salt Lake City Tribune the man is between thirty and forty-five years old. A millionaire over six feet tall and handsome. As F Scott Fitzgerald famously put it, let me tell you something about the very rich. They are different from you and me, to which Hemingway, ever the friend of me, allegedly shot back, yes, they have more money. Uh, Jones, there was a Mormon woman who was a millionaire between the ages of thirty and forty five. Under and good Give up your dick, basically be a gold digger, and go and apply to do this. I mean, with the notion, uh, I mean, because we, you know, it's the Mormon tradition that whoever they marry has to be Mormon. I'm I'm pretty sure, I think that's, I limited knowledge on that, but uh, I'm pretty sure you have to convert and be a Mormon if you marry a Mormon. I'm pretty sure that's the rule.
0: Well, uh, Scott Pollard, the uh, former KU player, He's a Mormon, and he did not marry a Mormon. And apparently, because of how well he ties to the church, that it's all good.
1: Oh, so okay. So maybe the guy is gonna like tie the money, uh, you know, to marry whoever he wants. I mean, I guess when you have that money, you can even disobey God. <laughs> essentially, <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. You've earned that right. <laughs> nah, man. You just tied twenty percent. We'll call it good. Right, right. You tied twenty. Yeah, you're good.
0: You you got you earn a little more staying
1: power, uh,
0: as <laughs> far as that goes. But would I? Here, here's my philosophy, Tom, uh, on just dating in general. And I don't know if you feel the same way. Is I am not opposed to going out with almost anybody for a date. I don't think that dating is harmless um, by any means. I think that you can, uh, you know, go for dinner or go to a game of some sorts with an individual with no agenda and just see what happens. You know, get to know somebody, get familiar with them. I think that's okay. We, we have this philosophy. There, there's a certain amount of people out there, Tom, that think, That you had to be in love with somebody to even ask them out to dinner or whatever. I mean, that's not the case. You can have a date with somebody and just to enjoy yourself, just to enjoy the company and just go from there. And if a relationship develops great, if not, then you had a good night out together of some sorts, a good date of some sort. So with that being said, would I go out with this individual? Of course. Yeah, of course does the money sound nice? Does it sound like a good evening? You know, if I was with a 30- or 45-year-old woman that had a lot of money, it would probably be a nice night to set up ahead of time. Um, so, no, I now would not what be... If, what if she made you...
1: What if she made you pay? What if she made me pay? Then that might be I mean, an issue. You're, you're just... You're, you're still like a college student and you're going on a date with a millionaire and, and she makes you pick up the tab at some fancy, like, a, you know, super fancy, like a I don't know, I mean, and if Charleston's up there. And, and then you find out that she's,
0: you know, just average-looking or not that great-looking. Then, I mean, I think you count your losses and move on, but you, you would be a little frustrated that you, you kind of fell for it in of some sense.
1: I mean, yes, but I mean, I, I, I guess, I mean, at the end of the day, this this Mormon uh, bachelor of sorts, I mean, whoever he does end up picking or I mean, like. I think the Barstool, I think there was a little bit more to the article that said, hey, well, why pick one woman when, you know, being a Mormon, you can pick several. Or something like that. I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, some people might not think it is, but I thought it was hilarious. That's great. Um, but in the same time, realistically, they're going to sign a prenup, right? Right. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's what you're getting into. I mean, I wouldn't. If I was a millionaire, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't disclose any of that because then you have someone marrying you for all the wrong reasons. Right. Um, and it just uh, it wouldn't be good. I well, think it would and be-
0: he made him sign that non-disclosure agreement. And if Stormy Daniels taught us anything, it's that uh, non-disclosure agreements don't mean anything. So I wonder how much money would it take us, Tom, to be able to convince somebody to to dox this person of who it actually is. There's no way. There is no way this non-disclosure agreement is going to last. This guy is going to get outed somehow.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, 20 women vying for attention from a millionaire. I mean, if it was a bachelor, just think the final person, you know, the final two, or I don't know how they're setting up, the, you know, for the future of this, but the final two, you know, they're going to be, uh, you know, whoever doesn't win. Is gonna be mad or gonna be heartbroken and be like, you know what? Uh, we're out in his name. It's Brian Nolan,
0: right? <laughs> right? <laughs> oh well, we
1: we do believe, according
0: to our sources, that Brian is is Mormon. Um, and I think that you would have to say, in Brian's case, that you're 30 or 45 just to make it believable that you're an, you're a millionaire at that age.
1: <laughs> And then they see him and they're like, wait, he's 15. Right. Huh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I hope if, if, if Brian didn't leave the one star review, then he doesn't deserve any of this hate. If he did leave the one star review, then I think we ought to just do like, a, you know, they have like the flavour flavour roast on Comedy Central. We yeah. ought to just say, hey, Nolan, we want you on the show and see how long we can keep him on the phone before he hangs up and do a Brian Nolan roasting session.
0: Oh, that – that uh, I, I would put the over-under at five minutes.
1: Oh, uh, that's a – that would be a tough one. I, I feel like we could probably touch on something, and then we'd have to bleep him out a lot, and then he would hang up. It would be like a, one of those Roy D. Mercer – Yes. Of the – You know, 97.5 where they get all mad and they hang up and uh, Phil and Brent call them back.
0: Yes, that would
1: be great. And then they're like, (laughs) that would be it.
0: This this dating thing, Tom, I I think this is brilliant. This non-disclosure thing is not going to work. We are going to find out who this guy is at some point in time. But I I respect the efforts that this guy went to, these efforts to... uh, to go through this, and who knows? He might just find somebody. Uh Triple Reese, you know, he, he always told us, because he did that dating show on CMT, he, he says that you can't find love on TV. But maybe, Tom, maybe if you play The Bachelor with no TV cameras around, then you might just be able to find love in that sense.
1: Yeah, I you know, I think so. Um, I, I wouldn't doubt that... Uh, this might go over a little bit better than The Bachelor if it's not televised or if there's no, you know, no drama getting in the way. Because, you know, they play that show up. So um, maybe, I mean, you know, best of luck to him that he doesn't find a woman who's just in it for the money. Uh, Because if I was going to apply, I would, damn sure be in it for the money.
0: Oh, I know you would. I I know you would. That's a a sad reality, (laughs) but a truth. And we appreciate your honesty, uh, Thomas Bridges. On that note, let's get out of here. Big thanks to Kelly Masters for joining us. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week here on the Jones Report. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And maybe even, you know, roast us if you want and leave us five stars. Tell us why we suck and then press the five stars. I think that's a fair trade-off. I think. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, follow us on social media Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Uh, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Insta Thomas, Jones underscore Report. And subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. And we'll see you right back here next week. Kelly Masters, Thomas Bridges, Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of the Jones Report. We'll see you next week.